We're speaking with people that are sending a pulse through their industry. Pulse through their industry. If you want to be taken seriously, you have to be consistent. Have to be consistent. You got to keep the big picture that hey, we're changing the world. We're changing. The league presents Electric People. What's up, guys? Welcome to Electric People. I'm excited for this one. Today. Yeah, it's gonna be a good one. Yeah. To the right is the human <laughs> being on this earth I spent more time with than any other person. This is true. Yeah. More so than Stace. Yeah. I love these people differently, my wife and Jordan, but I probably <laughs> spent, my body has spent more time close to Jordan than any other person in the we world. You shared a room for 15 years. A lot of people don't know that. What's, I already feel like a third wheel. That's the thing. Hey, we've been doing this. Now, we've hey, been bro. doing this for one <laughs> can't, minute. Can't have a tricycle I'm already starting to feel awkward. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for being on, Jordan. For you guys that don't know Jordan, uh, a staple in the door-to-door uh, community, a staple in the leadership industry. Um, a stat that most people know about you is uh, you started selling direct at, uh, alarms, working over at Vivint, and was the number one installing rep of all time um, when, for his years working there. So, yeah, a lot of people. It's it's always kind of fun because you know you see these Facebook chats like on these sales pages or just whatever, and inevitably they'll do like the you know hey who's the Mount Rushmore of door to door sales or who's the greatest of all time, and Without a doubt, Jordan's name is always mentioned in that group. They're probably and biased. I just know more people on there, maybe. Yeah, you, <laughs> you've got some connections. <laughs> My question is, which <laughs> present are you on, on, on Mount Rushmore? Hey, I don't know, dude. Uh, I'll take any of them, man. All right. I'll take any Could of you them. name the four presidents on the, on the Rushmore? Washington. He's too busy, he's too busy selling. He's not Lincoln. time for that. Okay. I don't know the other two. I couldn't verify it even if he, I was just there recently. Yeah, but. I don't know. I have um, no idea. So the, uh, your, your career in solar has been equally as impressive. You have a fun stat that everybody, for some reason it comes up when people are getting recruited, which shouldn't come up when they're getting recruited because it's it, pretty incredible. It's forever changing too, I feel like. The stat is this. <laughs> in Jordan's first 100 days as an employee of Vivint Solar, he installed 100 Not solar sold. systems. Not sold. He didn't sell. Yeah, so, so working days, right? So that was over Thanksgiving. So, you know, there were like five days off there. Right. So take those out. Christmas, five days off there. So 100 working days. 100. Uh, well, installs. the difference too, like installs. you hear a lot of companies talk about like their top people. And I actually always get frustrated when I hear people talking about like closed deals, which is like, you know, uh, you know they, they just got the customer to sign a contract yeah. or they submitted a permit or they, they call it a booking, they scheduled an install or whatever. These are actual accounts that from start to finish got inst- installed customers within your first 100 working days. Yeah, and it started, it's funny, because it started as something completely different. It started because when I came over here, I was told as a DM, the expectation was 39 installs. A quarter. So, a quarter. And so I came over, you know, just kind of like the little games I like to play with myself. I was like, you know, I, I think I could do double that. What if I could do double that? That'd be cool. And as I started going, my numbers started to increase a little bit. And then I was like, oh, you know, I actually might be able to do this, so I'm going to shoot for that. And so that's, I mean, that's where it came from. Mm. And Jordan's grown to now be um, one of the VPs of sales at Vivint Solar. And we'll talk about this later, but you started out being a phenomenal salesperson, and then in our careers together, uh, we've grown through leadership. And uh, your evolution is really interesting to me because I, I find it one that's really deliberate. A lot of people are, no, I started doing this, then I started doing this, and one thing led to another, and now I have this career. But uh, you're a person that's very meticulous, and I hope to, to dive into that and, uh, yeah, kind of pick it apart. So how did you get into um, direct sales? 
I like this story. So, this is a good story. <laughs> Ty. Everybody pay attention. Ty's the short answer. Ty's the short answer. That's actually not why I like this story, but... Ty's the short answer. So, um, I, some people heard this story already, but I was, I was playing golf and, you know, deciding kind of where I was going to take golf. My dad was helping me as I was, you know, going through college and stuff like that because he was wanting me to continue to pursue it in college. When you say, hold on, when you say I was playing golf, like... You weren't just playing golf. Like you were on, you were on a path to to basically become a professional golfer, right? Yeah. So I, I had some things happen earlier on where I kind of decided and realized that that wasn't what I wanted to do for a career. But, but it should be known that it was an he had the option. Like it, there's a lot of people that play golf, but um, you know, growing up with Jordan, uh, my family we have great parents. Jordan and I really benefit from having awesome parents and an awesome family. Um, and they they tried to give us experiences um, in certain things. I still remember the first time we played golf. I think I was like eight or nine and you were yeah. whatever. And we had heard that people bet on rounds of golf. And so me and Jordan had to bet the first game. Bet, we, dude. Yeah, like my dad negotiated <laughs> my dad negotiated this deal with this bank that they would give him a country club membership. And so we got to take junior golf lessons. I had to take junior golf lessons. Jordan got to take junior golf lessons. But the first bet, Jordan just spanked me. I lost a dollar. We've never bet since. Yeah, that's um, right. I don't know if you ever paid up, dude. You owe me a buck. Is that, uh, incidentally, I mean, was that the fork in the road with your golf game with Jordan? I mean, because I've played golf with you, and you're actually pretty bad. Yeah, I'm not good at golf. Yeah. I always say. Better than, better than you is, think. No, he is actually. I, I think, think you kicked off the I course. Yeah, yeah. And he knows what he's doing out to there. To your credit, I think you actually beat me. Which makes well, me, even <laughs> which makes me even worse. So, so, so yeah, I mean, you know, I kind of decided that's probably not what I'm gonna do. It was still kind of during that time, and so my dad was saying, you know, just don't rule it out. Go play, see if you can get on, and you know, and do that in college. And it got to the point where, you know, I he was helping me. I had I actually remember the number sixty two dollars in my bank account, and I was about to call him and ask him to put a couple hundred bucks in my account. And I just remember feeling like it was the most embarrassing, like, just I was a grown man about to call my dad and ask for money. So I, I remember deciding right there, I was like, dude, I'm never going to ask my dad for money again. I, I don't need to do that. I'm, I'm a grown up. So I called our neighbor instead, and uh, she would sell calendars. So she'd have these photographers send her all these pictures. She'd compile and put them together, and she'd sell them to different stores. She'd sell them to, like, Seagull Book and Desert Book, all these places. And so I called her and said, hey, I need to make some money can I sell some calendars? And she's like, uh, <laughs> I guess. Have you talked to How old are you at this point? 20, uh, 21. Okay. Right back from well, and more specifically, it was a very niche calendar. These were, these were uh, Mormon temple calendars. Temple calendars. So it's like, it's, yeah, a, it's, a, hot a, item. it's a specific I'm target Provo, audience. Utah, yeah. Yeah, selling that's, temple a, calendars. that's a hot item. So she's like, yeah, I'll send you a box. And don't worry, just pay me after you sell them because I don't have money to pay her. So I was like, sweet. Got my first business loan. I'm an entrepreneur. And uh, so she you sent them to me. You had real debt. I had debt, dude. I owed her money. 150 <laughs> bucks I owed her. It was a real thing. And I only had 62. I owed her three times what my net worth was. Um, so, yeah, I, I got the box. And that night I took them out said, okay. And I walked out of my King Henry apartment in Provo, Utah, and started selling temple calendars door to door. Making seven bucks a pop, dude. Feeling pretty good about it. <laughs> Put together a pitch. Sold them. That's where it started. And then Ty found out that I was doing this. And he's like, I didn't tell anybody. I was selling including alarms my parents. at the time. Yeah, <laughs> so, including our parents. Quasi they had no idea. Successfully. Yeah. Yeah, you're making like 
150k a summer. Not quite yet. yet at that point, but <laughs> I was yet. making more than seven bucks a sale. <laughs> He's um, more than like whatever. But before we go on to that, the crazy thing to me was, you you have this theme. I don't know if you'd say this about yourself, but there's like a there's like a quiet, deliberate action. Jordan does very impressive things without announcement, right? And so like. You know, in, in, in knocking doors and going out and selling, the hardest thing is what? The hardest thing is just getting out, right? The fact that you took this box of calendars, walked out the door, figured out a pitch, I assume. I'd like to yeah. hear the pitch. Yeah, I still right? remember. I mean, it's similar to what like, we do. Like, do you recognize that as abnormal at the time? Um, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't making enough to really realize it was abnormal. I'd make like, you know, 45 bucks in a night and be like, dude, I'm feeling pretty good number one door-to-door calendar salesman of all time <laughs> no question yeah, I don't know so um you know I one of my one of my themes or something that I try to pride myself on like in my what I'm about statement or, or something that I try to draw from is I try to make noise without saying a word I, I just that's just something that I respect and appreciate so I try to kind of embody and do that and I think anytime there's a situation where you can and then you know the stuff comes out it's like it's more I'm trying to impress myself, and I've found that in doing that, good things come as a result, mm. right? What do you mean? So give an example of that. Like, how do you make noise without saying a word? Or maybe, maybe so what, what are stuff. things so, that you see that you don't that So I start, don't with something, well. I start with something that would be impressive to me and say, okay, how do I go about accomplishing that thing, right? I need to make money, okay? And this is maybe where it started. I don't know. Um, how do I go about doing it? And then you work it backwards and get to a point where it's, I know that these simple things are what I have to do. And I will do those things until I hit that number. Um, same thing with the, the hundred installs in the first hundred days. It was, Hey, it'd be kind of cool if I could double that 39 install number. That'd be cool. That would be like, I'd be proud of that. So that's the thing that would impress you. That's the thing, right? In the, in the summer with alarms, it'd be cool if I could do 300. It'd be cool if I could do this. That would, that would, you know. And so that's kind of where it starts. And then I just work it backwards and make sure I hit the number. I was just going to say, I've heard you talk before about, um, I've actually heard you say that you don't feel like you're the most talented sales rep, but you feel like you're the most disciplined sales rep. I feel like I'm as disciplined. Yeah, I feel like I'm one of the more disciplined salespeople. I think skill is part of it. It's not the most important part, in my opinion. How, think, what do you mean by discipline, though? Think, so what, is that, what does that mean to be the most disciplined or be very disciplined? Yeah, and I'm sure there's other people that are just as disciplined. I, I guess what I'm saying is I will break down whatever it is that I have to do, and I break it down into smaller pieces. And as long as I know the small piece that I have to do every day or every whatever's, you know, whatever I break it down to, I will do that thing relentlessly. Um, as an example, I... I was in on the alarm side for nine years, and the idea, and this, this kind of came, I guess, by chance, but the idea of stopping and going to a gas station or sitting on a curb for even five minutes, I, I just don't get it. Because when I first started, I learned to work those hours to a point where I, I, never, I just never did that. And so for nine years, you know, I, people come and ask me, you know, how are you successful in this and, and all these things? And I said, I just did the thing that I was supposed to do all seven hours on doors for nine years without stopping ever once. Mm. That's it. And I think a lot of people, it's like, yeah, I worked really hard, but there was that hour where I did this that day. And that turns into two hours this day. And it's just, you feel like you're working hard still, 
But unless you can say, I did everything humanly possible to hit that metric or work those hours, I think that's the mark of true discipline, in my opinion. And so I'm going to tell you a story to illustrate uh, the discipline thing. But you're going to need to jump in because I want to know what was in your head. But 2010, <laughs> Arkansas. Uh, and it was, we were all meeting outside to go knock for the day. And um, What time did you guys meet normally with your teams? We'd usually meet at like noon. Yeah, I think about noon. We would always leave by one. Right. So we were in the parking lot of the apartment complex getting ready to leave. So we're all out there together. There's 35 bright orange shirts like in the small parking lot. And Jordan and I had bought these minivans, <laughs> these little dude haulers to go back <laughs> and forth. It was going to be like area. five grand to rent a car. I'm like, that seems like a lot. We could just go buy one and sell it and it'll be cheaper. So we bought these just kind of hoopty Hoop vans. <laughs> hey, little known fact, both of these vans are still in the industry. That's they're right. Still, really? Yeah, they're still combing the streets today. They're owned by Michael Mueller, shout both out, of them. Shout out to Mueller. Um, <laughs> That's right. So anyways, we're all standing outside getting ready to Sorry, go out to we work. We call them hoopties, Mike. You're nice, dude. <laughs> uh, and Jordan had locked his keys in the car while it was running. And we're all. No, no, no. I turned it on, you shut the door, and it automatically locks. That's part of the hooptiness of this car. Yeah. <laughs> so the car is locked and running, and everybody's standing outside. And so um, all the reps are like, well, what are you going to do? We got to call a locksmith. And I'm like, I'm kind of watching everybody figuring out what to do, and I'm watching Jordan like calculating and like doing I panic. Math. If I'm not on doors by mm -hmm. 2 o'clock, I, yeah, I, I get, that weird. get weird. It's a, yeah, it's, it's weird. Yeah, so this was about and that so time. we're like, well, you got to call a locksmith. And Jordan's like, well, if you call a locksmith, okay, it's one o'clock. It's going to take him two hours to get here, or an hour to get here, probably 30 minutes to fix it, and then an hour to area. So I'll get to the area an hour late. Then I got to drop everybody off, and then I got to start knocking. I had these time increments that I had to have a sale by every day in order to stay on track or on pace. So that's what was going through so my mind. So what were test. they? What were your increments? So two o'clock to 3.45, I had to have my first one. Uh, 3.45 to 5.30, my second, 5.30 to 7.15, my third, then 7.15 to 9, my fourth. So, he's, so I'm, I'm cutting an hour into this hour and 45-minute increment, and I'm just, I'm panic so mode. So in his mind, he can't call a locksmith <laughs> because that's the difference between getting a sale in this increment or not. And so he walks over to um, this patch of grass where there's a hose and like this little sprinkler. I still have the video. We should actually attach yeah. it to this. <laughs> he picks up this sprinkler with the hose like wonging in the thing and throws it through the window, shatters it. And you can hear in the video, the reps are like, oh, dang, like what happened? <laughs> and Jordan's like, everybody in the car, let's go. Let's roll, dude. So they drove to the area with no window. No window. Sells four. Fine. Uh, and actually got a guy who I would not have gotten had it been an extra hour. He was, it was a quick sale. He's like, I have to go. Got it done, got it installed. Had I waited any time, I wouldn't have got him. And then the next morning at like 9 a.m., there's like a, a guy, a window guy fixing the van. And it was even the calculations. Like, okay, this will be 100 bucks to fix minus the 500 even, bucks. Even if it didn't cost. get me a sale, I was committed to making that decision because I knew that I was committed to doing what I need to do. That was the difference for me. Like, I, I think, I didn't know if I was going to get a sale from it or not, but I knew that I was going to do whatever, right? And I think that that right there for me is a point where it's like, I am committed to hitting this number. I'll do this. It actually made sense at the time. Have you guys heard, so uh, Michael Jordan was interviewed, and he said a lot of people will say they try their hardest, but secretly what they'll do is not try their hardest so that if they don't accomplish their goal, in their minds, they have, a, they have a built-in excuse yeah. as to why they didn't hit it, right? Well, if I would have tried my hardest, I would have got it, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So subconsciously, they sort of like sabotage their own, 100%. Um, their own success, right? So um, I feel like 
with door-to-door sales especially, uh, it's a hard job at times, especially during the summer months when it's really hot outside, depending on what market in you're in. And something like that would be a really easy time for Jordan to sort of mail in his goal that day, mm-hmm. right? Or his commitment to himself that day where he had an actual valid reason to get on the doors late. But he's like, I'm not accepting that as one of the reasons as why I'm going to miss my goal. That's one of the things you always say is that's the thing about excuses. Yeah, they're valid. Every, every excuse that we have is legitimate. It's yes, it's accurate, it's true. It just doesn't matter, right? Well, not that it doesn't matter, but if you're trying to accomplish the thing that you've set forth to accomplish, it doesn't matter, right? You need to hit that thing despite those other things. One, one of the things that, you know, maybe <clears throat> some people know, maybe, maybe not, but that first full quarter I was doing solar, part of that 100, I, ha- I moved from Utah to California and had a baby in that time. But it wasn't part of any type of the planning for the numbers. I still had to hit the numbers. I just had to work around it, right? So I forgot you had a baby had a baby during dude. that time. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, a child Ra- was born. A child, dude. <laughs> Came in. Um, and Rachel's great about it, right? And, and that's part of What's it. What's the baby's name? Atlas. Al- Atlas. Atlas. Cool. Atlas, a.k.a. You should have named him, like, Hundo. Hundo? Yeah, or- <laughs> We Instead, they call that. him Squishy. <laughs> they call him Squishy. That's like his name that everyone knows him by. So, so talk more about that because I always say that, that every championship is full of times when they almost didn't win, right? Every, every goal you hit is full of times. It's almost like when you set a goal, you're, automatic, you're immediately going to get resistance, right? You're going to go lift a weight that's well, heavy and it's going to pull back on you. Emotionally, too, it's harder to, to actually like try your hardest the whole time, too, right? Yeah. Like we were talking about those built-in subconscious like you know, where you don't try your hardest. Um, emotionally, it's a lot harder to just say, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to just try my absolute hardest. So how, right. do you, how do you deal with it when you maybe don't hit your goal as well? Um, so I, I try to make sure that it is meticulously planned out enough. And <clears throat> if anybody's, if you've seen me go through this process, I got safeguards everywhere. Give an example of the process. So, you know, for example, this, I had to have four in every day was my goal with alarms. Um, and 20 a week, well, four times six is 24. So I could fail and still hit it. Um, I, also, if I didn't hit... Failing would be 20, not 24 in a week. Failing is, I'm going to have an increment where I don't get an install. I'm going to try desperately to make sure that doesn't happen. Everything within my power to do that. But you're going to fail. You have to, right? So I just make failure part of the plan. Um, I also would say if I didn't get two, I would go knock the next morning. This is the first time I ever tried to hit 300 back in the day when it, that was like the staple. Mm. Um, with solar, I broke the numbers backwards and said, okay, I have to average 10 ACs or 10 sales and however many closes, I forget what that was. And I had this game with myself that I would never let myself fall below what I was averaging. So if I had a good week and got to 12 and I was averaging 12, well, I'd never go below 12 again. So slowly and steadily, the number just continues to increase, and I never go backwards. Even though I'm set for 10, but if I'd never go backwards, I'm always going to hit the number. So I try to like really meticulously plan that out. But I think the reason, to your point, I think the reason that that's so hard for people is it's very vulnerable, right? It's very vulnerable to say, I'm going to go do this, because if you fail, we never like to admit that we fail. It's just really hard. Mm. You're Best case scenario, you hit your number and you feel really good. You feel accomplished. You hit this incredible thing that, in my opinion, this goal that I've set is to impress me or just continue to, you know, give myself confidence. Um, 
The second best thing you can do is be open about this number and fail and miss it. The worst thing you can do is pretend like it doesn't matter or just say, I have some excuse. This is why I didn't do that because then you never really own it. You never claim it, right? So that's the worst case. And you see a lot of people doing that because it's softer, it's easier. We can kind of, I guess, maintain some dignity or whatever. I actually think it works backwards, gives us less confidence. We question ourselves, you know, failure is okay. Yeah, well, and we do direct sales, right? It's, it's interesting because you employ a lot of leaders and we're never upset at the people that dare greatly and come up short. We're often frustrated with the people that can't commit 100%. That's right. Yeah, I, I would rather somebody says, I am going to hit X number and fail doing it than say, I'm going to hit X number three weeks into it. Ah, this just isn't my quarter or this just isn't my summer but next quarter, it's a new me. All those people, that's, that's all the, the fluff. That's all the talk. That stuff drives me crazy, right? Yeah. You always hear those people, I'm coming for you this summer. I'm coming for you this quarter. And the people that are really going to hit those numbers, they usually don't have to say anything, right? Because they're just doing their thing. And if someone catches them, great, but they're going to hit their number. The louder they are, usually the more they're trying to prove or, you, you know. Let's, let's talk about golf for a second because I have a theory that um, – uh, Developing yourself, like your golf game at an early age, gave you this mental edge that's a real advantage for you now. Uh, one of the things that I remember is um, when I would be out coming home from whatever, skating or riding my bike or whatever, uh, you had this yellow bucket. Remember the margarine bucket, like this big yeah, bucket of butter, and these like ten <laughs> wiffle balls. And Jordan would about that, Jordan yeah. would chip these wiffle balls over the driveway, and you're trying to make it into the bucket, mm-hmm. right? Did you have some number or some game yeah. or something? So, and this, I feel like I kind of fell into this, but I think this is the difference between, you know, people getting better and people just hitting some wiffle balls in their front yard. Mm-hmm. But I would try to hit a certain, certain amount in the bucket before I'd go in, or I'd go to the drive range and try to hit the, the post two times before I went to the next one. And, you know, I do the same thing with Asher now, my oldest, who's getting into golf, and I'll make him, you know, putt and hit eight in a row before he moves on eight three footers in a row and if he misses one you got to start over because it gives you like the real feeling of a game and the real deliberate practice as we've kind of come to see it now but so do you think that that helped shape because a lot of the stuff follows the same thing like I saw you how old were you when you were chipping that I mean I was little yeah eight yeah and it's like (laughs) come inside like well I've only hit seven in the bucket and it's this game you made but somehow you had the discipline the number meant enough to you it was almost like a, like a, you wouldn't be proud of yourself if you left it. Fast forward now, I wanna talk about some of the, for sales for a second, then we'll transition to leadership, but what are some of the games that you play um, with yourself? You mentioned them, but one of the things that I'm specifically thinking of is your spreadsheet, like your tracker, your knocking tracker. I don't think a lot of people know about that. Um, where you know you would track how many doors you knocked oh, yeah. down to the day for the... Yeah, so um, I'm just kind of a numbers guy, right? So it kind of gives me confidence. So I, I would track, for seven years I did this, I would track how many people I talked to or door approaches I gave, and then how many houses I got in, then how many sales. So one, it gave me really accurate um, statistics over time, how many people I closed. Um, but what it would do is it just helped me think differently. Um, one of the things that actually, again, a lot of this is looking back. I actually, truth be told, I feel like I maybe would have had a better shot in my golf life and golf career had I known some of the mental things that I've come to recognize since I've been doing this job. Mm. For example, I don't know why I did this, but I would do this thing where I would, um, the first two holes at Twin Lakes, if you remember, went 
out and back to the clubhouse and the rest of the course was kind of behind that. And so no matter what I got on those first two holes, I would put double bogey, double bogey just to like see myself fight back. And I think for me, the mentally, and then what I would try to do is I would try to make sure I didn't tell anybody about it. Like that's just where I was. So I could, I, I would shoot a score and be like, yeah, I shot this. What we normally do is we say, well, yeah, I shot this, but it's because I gave myself two double bogeys. Or like right. I didn't sell one, but I actually am <clears throat> going to get I mean. it tomorrow. I sold it, but they that's, didn't. And so right. that's why I bring that up, right? Because the way that translated to me is, you know, we had a rough summer in Minnesota with cancels because of some of the tech issues that we, we dealt with. But I think rough summer with cancels is an understatement. <laughs> Jordan had 100 Yeah, 100 rip-outs. Rip right, 100 pulls. He's, what? He had pulls. more alarms ripped out of homes than more, most people install. And usually, like, my percentages were always really good. So it was, it was just this crazy anomaly. What do you attribute it to? Well, so we found, so our, not to throw anyone under the bus, but so our, our but installation. I'm going to. But our, so our, our <laughs> installers, they had four times the number of upgrades than, any, than the next closest installing group. So they would go to customers' homes and be like, oh, hey, he didn't give you this, 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 and this, but I'll sell it to you. And so these people would either buy it or not. And then the next morning they'd call us and be like, dude, you didn't even like cover my house. Right. So rip this thing out. So and we actually found our installed we customers, our upgraded customers stuck. The ones that didn't buy install or didn't buy upgrades canceled at a rate four times higher than everybody else. Which makes sense, right? So then we, we tested that through the next couple of years and that's what it was. So anyways, but that translated into I would be selling and I would have five cancels in one day, which most reps, it's like, well, yeah, of course I didn't sell. I had five count. I'm going to tell you all about it. But for me, I would draw back on that. Okay, I better get six today. I got to figure it out. Or it is what it is. I'm going to go do what I do, and the results will was follow. Was that 2005? 2007. Seven? Yeah, 2007 was Minnesota. The first I heard of you, so I was working at a competitor at Pinnacle Security, and I actually had a rep in my office, a kid named Justin Fillmore. And oh, yeah. uh, right. you he was in him. your office? Yeah. So, that's right, dude. So that's I actually think you guys tried to recruit him, and, and we I, I got him. We couldn't do yeah, it, dude. Hey, that makes hey, sense. We'll call, we'll, we'll, call that, <laughs> we'll call that one nothing McClellan. <laughs> okay. That's, that's when it started. That's, that's when it started. I mean, if we, we'll keep, do we'll this. Keep we go back in time. Just for a while. I'm curious to see where this ends. I'm sure I'm going to be on the wrong end of it. But but anyway. We're starting at 07, is that right? Yeah. So Fillmore was on my team, and he's like, He's like, man, he's like, I got this kid from my mission that's working at Vivint, or was it APX at the time? I yeah. can't remember, mm-hmm. but he's like, he sold like 280 accounts or something in Minnesota. And, uh, you know, like the top rep on, on our team toward the end of the summer was like 150, 175 accounts or whatever. So still not bad, but mm-hmm. not 280, right? Yeah. So, and I just kept thinking, and then I heard that he, Jordan had had a bunch of cancels. And so instantly what you do in the alarm industry, because we're all a bunch of shysters, you know, back in the, back in like the, the mid two thousands when it was like, Try just to prove what couldn't be done. Yeah. I mean, Provo was like the lion's den. Right. And it was like, instantly we were like, you just assume, Oh, he must be shady or it must be this or that or whatever. But, um, you know, anyway, as I've gotten to know Jordan a lot better over the last few years, uh, with solar, um, now I would say what you're known for is that you can do volume and do it the right way. And I think a lot of guys don't feel like those two things coincide. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I mean, what's your opinion That's, on that? Because a lot of guys yeah. think like, oh, any, any guy that just crushes it, 
the default is he must be a little bit shady or a lot shady, yeah. right? And so I'm sure you dealt with some of those. Yeah, like, so that's that's a that's a complete decision in my opinion. And um, I tell I tell my guys this all the time. Everyone is going to try to discredit what you do. The more impressive the thing you did is, the more they will try to discredit what you did. So you just have to make sure that there is no possible way to discredit anything you did. And if and if you know, I I can. I feel better knowing that, yeah, everything that I've done with these numbers, it's been in a upfront way. Like, it's just important to me because the last thing you want to do is go do some impressive thing and have everyone be like, well, yeah, but, and I hear it all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, the only reason he did 100 is because the add-ons or this, this or that, and it's like, yeah, let's pull them up. Just pull them up and see. And if that's the case, yeah, just credit everything I did, but, just, but at least pull them up for my sake because I got I to gotta get the other side of that, right? I got yeah. to smile when you see that that's not the case. Right. So that's just a decision for me. I think it, it's more of an accomplishment doing it the right way. I think everybody can do it the wrong way. So what are some of the, I, I was thinking as you were talking about um, the cert, making a, uh, was a bogey on the first two holes at Twin Double Lakes. Bogey, yeah. You ought to create like a little book of mental tricks or so, like, a, like a challenge Dude, of the day or something. You it, know what I so mean? I had a tournament. It, I look back at this. This is probably like one of my, one of my um, for me, the, one of my most proud one of my proudest tournaments I've ever had. I started with a nine in a golf tournament. It was par five. I got that's a, a nine, score. dude. Usually I that's like time to just dude, walk so off bad. the course. So I go, I go, yeah. I go nine, bogey, bogey in a high school golf tournament. And I literally told myself, I am going to shoot a 75. I didn't say, dude, screw this. I'm done. This sucks. Like, and just because I'd practiced it before, I think, right, mentally, I said, I'm going to shoot a 75 in this tournament. I shot a 74, took second place, and it's the most proud I've ever been in any tournament because it's just that, that fighting back for me like just does something for mm-hmm. me, you know what I mean? So what, what, do, you, what do you do for selling? Uh, tracking your numbers, and you say that, that makes you look at things differently. Like what are some of the things that the guys can apply to like some, some uh, tips to develop mental strength? Well, I wanna hear your story that you just told Every rep, I think, goes through, along with what you're asking, every rep goes through starting the day with some unexpected bad mm-hmm. news, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So you started a golf tournament with a very unexpected, you know, first couple dude, holes. It was the worst, dude. What's, so what's the worst day you've ever had starting selling that you Miss, had the same fight, right? Minnesota, you, right? Like to wake up to five. I remember one day it was literally five rip outs. And I was like, geez, dude, like, this, like what is this going to take? And I think maybe that day, the first one I sold, they canceled before it got installed too. Like, so I, I think um, one of the things that I've learned is that time for me, that selling time, I, I, and it's funny because I heard James Lawrence talk about this too when he came and talked to us. He talks about how like when he was doing his, um, his Ironmans, 50-50-50, he talks about like he got in his arena and like that is where he shined. Like for me, on doors is my arena. And if I'm, if I'm ever going to like impress myself or whatever, it comes on doors. Like that's when I do the impressive. That's when I do the Michael Jordan score and whatever with the flu. Like, right. It's, it's, it's less glamorous, but for me, that's how I, that's how I tell it's myself go this, it's go time. And it's not a time to be like, Oh, this sucks. It's a time for me to say, and I, and I will tell myself it's about to get impressive. Like now, like this is what's going to separate me because everybody could do four when everything's going great and you sold the eight neighbors the, you know, the week before and you're going to go sell them. Everyone can do that, right? But to be able to have five cancels and then go sell six and like that's, to me, that's like just mentally, I, I think that's the next, 
step. And I would always just try to do those things, right? So um, I see it now, again, probably ties to golf a lot. I talked to my oldest about it. You hit a bad shot. There's nothing you can do about that shot other than birdie the next hole or just go get it the next hole. And the sooner you can just get rid of that stuff and just like genuinely get rid of it, completely rule it out, it's done, nothing I can do about it, and move on, the, the, the higher your odds are to get a sale the next door or, or anything really, you know? So I just try to get rid of it, move forward. And that, that's practice. You have to practice that. You can't just do it. It's really hard. I had a conversation with Mike Brand the other night. And uh, you know Mike, he's, he's enthusiastic. He's, he's very confident. He's very competitive. And uh, I got a phone call from him when he was out selling. And he, was, he told me right when he picked up, he's like, dude, I'm, I'm shook. I'm kind of tripping right now. And it, whatever, he had, I always say, you have one guy a month that's going to lose his mind on you. Door-to-door is not about getting door slammed in your face, except for that one guy a month, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he met that guy and just came unglued and yelled at him and swearing at him. And, and uh, he called me. And he's like, I need to calm yeah. down for a second. And we just talked for a second. He didn't call me so I could coach him, yeah. but he's like, hey, you'll never believe what happened. This is crazy. And then he goes, anyways, I'm not going to let that define my day. I'm gonna, he actually said that. I'm going to go get one. Got one, called me, and he's like, dude, I nailed it. And, the, and those, right, like, those are the moments, right? Like I've had, I'm sure you guys have all had the same thing, like had a guy get in my face and be confrontational and like, like come at me. And it's like, how do you calm yourself down, just forget about that and move on? Like that's, that's when whatever you're doing that day becomes more impressive, right? Anybody could do it when you don't have that. Things are going good. And so I, I actually, I've learned to kind of like smile at those things because it, it, it gives me a shot, right? Like extreme weather did it for me too. Extreme, when it was 120 degrees, I liked it more than when it was 90 degrees because everybody could sell a couple when it's 90, but when it's 120, it's different. And you smile and say, all right, I'm going to do the same thing in this weather. I'm going to go to this market and do the same thing because that's the differentiator. Well, they say, we've said it before on this podcast, that nobody takes you seriously until you're consistent, Mm -hmm. right? And so you feel like that's really when people started to recognize you as, like, there had to have been a moment in your career at Vivint where you started realizing people are viewing me as as the top guy, right? What was that like for you? And when, when did you sort of kind of take on that mantle? Is like, I, now, I'm, now I have to own this and now there's some pressure to actually be the top guy. Yeah, first off, it was year four. Um, for me, year four, let's see, 2008. So year three, year three. Um, it was about halfway through the summer, which is why I call it year four, because I was, I was learning. At, at first it was like, oh, maybe I just was in a good market and good area. I figured everyone just worked all the hours. I, I didn't know any different. Successful people always think that. They can't believe that someone's not working the same hours. Right, you know yeah, yeah. Well, He's like, was, I don't get it. Why isn't anyone else selling for Again, when they find out, they're shocked. They're <laughs> like, what? You know, Wait, I bet, like, when he first said, he's like, yeah, I got to do 20 a week. I was like thinking back, how many, how many weeks I've done 20? And, or like four in a day yeah. even, you know what I mean? And I was like, damn. Not that many, actually. <laughs> I yeah. actually remember so, the week. I, I actually remember. Yeah, I remember the week. <laughs> well, yeah, so it was, it was that year, and I started to realize, you know what? Maybe, like, for whatever reason, I just have been able to figure this thing out, whether it's a, a, just probably just a combination of mental stuff and, you know, learning from the great mentors that I had. Like, you know, I was, I was in a situation where I, I, I couldn't fail. I had really great people around me. Um, but it was that year. And I, and I remember thinking to myself this exact thing, year one, everybody can go out and have a good first year. Year two, anybody can 
do it a couple times. But in my opinion, same thing you said, consistency is the mark of true success. If you can't repeat it, then it was cool, but that's it, right? Like that, you, you're not really there. It's not your, your, your character is what gets you to continually and consistently do that. And so it was, it was that year. And, and was there pressure? Yes, 100%. And I, you know, I, we'd laugh about this. I have people that would come and talk to me and, or I'd hear about it where they say, well, yeah, Jordan, I mean, he does 300. It's like, dude, don't take that away from me. Like for me <laughs> doing 300, it's just as hard. You know, maybe I've developed this skill set or, or whatever, right? But it's still like, I go through that. You know what I mean? And, and with solar, it's like, well, yeah, it's, you know, he did this, but like, don't take it from me. Yeah, I, I did a hundred because I, I intentionally, like I went through that, you know? And so, and I think, I think to explain what people, what I've seen people say is, uh, you'll give a tip or something like, here's how you do it. And they're like, well, you do 300. Let me talk to someone else that struggles. Right. Yeah. It's not like, oh, well you do a lot. It's, it's as if it comes easy. Right. As if it, as if it's, yeah. And I like, get it. Right. And, and that's part of kind of to your point. Is there an expectation added pressure? Yeah. But it was, I put more pressure on myself than anybody. I, I still expected myself to do these numbers, hit these things for me. Right. It was, it was never, I, this surprises people. I am not a super competitive dude. I, I probably reasonable. I'm just not like, I have to be number one. That, that's not me at all. Um, but I have to hit my number. I will always hit my number. Mm. And if in hitting my number, uh, I'm number one or whatever. Cool. That's great. I feel good about that. But if somebody beats me, kudos, right? I hit my number still. They just smashed it. Well, and that goes back to the discipline part of it, right? Yeah. So you say, you say all the time, like, I'm disciplined. And that's just, you're competing against the discipline that you've set up for yourself. Yeah. Was there, was there um, I think a lot of really good sales guys have a day or multiple days or days all the time where everyone you talk to, you sell. Mm -hmm. Can you walk us through maybe in your mind what your greatest all-time sales yeah. day was? Yeah, and is it, is I'll, it give one you, I'll give you two. One all of right. them solar, one of them alarms. But by the way, I feel like these are going to be eerily similar to you know my best days. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's probably true. <laughs> well, since probably. you decided to keep score, let's go <laughs> ahead and so, do that. So my, solar, so my solar one wasn't my best day. Actually, both of them weren't my best day. Um, maybe I'll give you a couple. So with solar, I, we were recruiting this guy. It was a brand new office. Me and Brian Rossiter just kind of started this office anew and um, we we're trying to recruit and selling. We we're trying to get all this volume, but we also had to recruit. And so I remember bringing this guy out and I, and I batted a hundred. Everybody that I talked to, I sold. I think I sold Don't five or six. Don't you hate that when you're recruiting oh, somebody? It was the worst. I told him like, this they is get not how it goes. Like <laughs> I was in a neighborhood. I was in one neighborhood where I had like 180 installs. So I, like, I was just, I'd been there for a little He's bit. He's like, I'm going to be rich. He says 180. Yeah. He'd been there for four months. Yeah, or whatever. So <laughs> I had all these installs and it's like, you know, so it was, it was pretty prime. I mean, it right. wasn't probably less me, more just the area. But so you went five for five. Yeah. And then I also closed five too that day. So I just had, I just got crap done that day with this dude. And, you know, we signed him up that day. It was just a great day. Um, <laughs> obviously it was bad later. Cause I'm like, Hey, that's probably gonna struggle for the first little let me, bit. Let like, me reset your expectations. Yeah. <laughs> so the you other one, do some now. so the other one, um, I was in, it was the madness. It was against Mark bench. Um, this was the first year of the madness. I believe, I think it was, it was in Greensboro. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. And um, so I had done six the day before. It was a two-day contest. And I don't know if you remember this, but we, we, cleared, we, we basically took Jordan's responsibilities from him, gave him a territory, so, and just said, hey, everyone, 
send me the, the stuff yeah. so Jordan can win this contest for yeah. us. And remember, you didn't like the area at first. The area was yeah, it, it was it just it, it was new. I, yeah, it was yeah. new, and I, it wasn't a place that I had like. It was just starting up a new area. It's just kind of how that goes. So I didn't have like a, the feel for it yet. So anyways, and I knew Mark had done a ton, and I, I could see his number. Or no, I think it was actually turned off. And so I knew I knew I had to have a big day. And to me, anytime you have a big day, when you know you have to have a big day, there are sometimes. And this is why like. You know, I'm more proud of this. I knew I had to have a big day, and you just can't always control that. I'm still going to do whatever I can, but there's sometimes where you want to have a big day and you just get three. Mm. That's it, right? And you're out all day and you just struggle, and that's the stuff that humbles you and keeps you grounded. But I knew I had to have a big day, and so I had like, I was at five, and it was 7.30 or eight maybe. And over the next two hours, I got four more, just back to back to back, quick sales, and it was pitch black, and I got out at like 11. And at the time, he beat me. P.S. At the time, I thought I had enough. He he did 11 or something crazy. But for me, it was like I knew I had to have a big day, and I did it. Another time was when I got 10 in a day because it finished at like 11, and you know, put me at 30 for the week for the first time I ever did that. Like now, people will probably crush those numbers. But um, you know, the, when I was most proud was when I knew I had to have a big day, and I came through. Let me uh, let me ask you something. Um, uh, by the way, so Williams won, McClellan. <laughs> yeah, we're tied we gave up. like three examples. Tied up, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, That's fine. That counts as one. Oh, okay. That's one. <laughs> you make the rules. Too. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Yeah. The uh, um, question for you. So you mentioned earlier a personal code. You kind of said it passively, but um, talk about that. Uh, I think that's something that is very common in the electric people, as we talk about, but the elite few that have sustained success they have a code, so I want to, if you feel comfortable sharing some pieces from it, mm-hmm. and also what drove you to create it. Yeah, so I think... Like, what is it for yeah, you? Yeah, so it's, it's what I'm about. Uh, we've done this with, like, my family, kind of like a Williams, what we're about. Um, and I try, to, I try to make every decision based on what I'm about now, right? I, again... But it's a document or it's Yeah, a, it's, in my, it's in my phone, it's in my notes, and I tweak it all the time. you share it with your family, like with your wife and your Yeah, kids, so I have one thing. for me, and I have one for our family. Okay. So a lot of times we say... Hey, you know, Kai, I have a story I can maybe go into, but Kai, we're about doing hard things, so this is why we're going to do this, right? So every, every decision that we make is based on who we are or who we want to be mm. and not just falling into what we become based on, you know, chance or whatever. It's, this is what we want to be. This is, these are the decisions we make to be that. And same thing for myself. So it started when I was coming to solar, um, it, there was a lot going on, and I had a really good thing going. Loved what I was doing um, before, and I felt like I'd built this brand over at, at Vivint, and it was really hard to think about starting fresh. Like that was really daunting for me, and so I just kind of I started to put things down that that I believed or what I was about because I hadn't done it. I knew these things were up there, but I never really put them down, which there's power in that, by the way, because it just it's it's conclusive and it's documented, and so. Um, one of the things that I claimed at the time was I believe that being uncomfortable, being willing and able to be uncomfortable allows you the ultimate comfort in life. And it was that moment where I decided to do solar because it was so uncomfortable for me. And so my decision was I'm not comfortable with this, but that's what I do. That's who I am. And so I make this decision. And it's, and it's been great, obviously, you know. But um, What are some other things? What a, another, did, another thing that... that can I interrupt? I just want to yeah. ask you financially... What was your perceived sort of opportunity cost leaving one 
you know, the yeah. current situation we're in. Because I think a lot of people, you know, even when we're when we're talking about bringing people into Vivint Solar, mm -hmm. they're doing a current job, and you know, they're coming into an uncomfortable straight commission situation, and they have to make that mental leap, like, hey, I'm going to leave the comforts of salary or hourly or insurance, you know, just whatever, yeah. and take this leap, right? So, you know, for some context, when you say I had to do make an uncomfortable decision, you know, financial, yeah, I mean, you don't have to give, you don't have to give us, right? yeah, to give us the exact numbers, but just obviously. like. Financially, I was in a great situation. It was another risk, right? However, for me at the time, I just, I just, and this is what I told everybody there, is I just needed something different. I needed a new stage. It's just something different to shake it up for me um, because it, it had gotten a little bit stagnant for me. It was, it was a personal thing, nothing that anybody did. Right. It was in a great situation. Um, and so, yeah, financially, I, I think, you know, we always hear dollars follow value. Um, I, I think financially, if, if, as long as you are set up and have the discipline to, to do the things that you are aspiring to do and be the things you are aspiring to be, you're going to be in a great financial situation. I don't think that that's going to be a worry for people in, in, in that scenario. So I was confident in that. I was confident that, you know, I knew what I was going to do. I was still going to be who I was going to be because it's who I am and I will, and I will die trying to make sure that I am that person, right? Um, but, you know, a couple other things that maybe are on that is um, I believe that how you do anything is how you do everything. Um, and, and, we, and, you know, I talk about that. It's if I'm going to do this thing, I'm going to do it the very best that I can because if I slack on this, then maybe I'm, maybe I'm a slacker. And that's, I'm not that. And that's not okay with me. Um, you know, I do hard things. I find things that challenge me, specifically like mentally, with a lot of this stuff that we've talked about. And I do it just because it, you know, it keeps me sharp and it keeps me learning, progressing. Jordan, one kind of final theme I'd like to discuss. Um, one of the things that has been pretty impressive for me to see over the last couple of years is, and a lot of this is industry branding stuff, right? But you've kind of made this transition to undisputably one of the very best sellers to ever do this to one of the very best leaders that's ever done this. Um, I think those are two really different skill sets. And so maybe talk about that transition, um, where most of your time goes now, where most of your thought goes now. And uh, was that a conscious decision to say, hey, I'm going to shift gears and focus on leadership more? Or how would you view that? It's a good question. I think it's a big question. Um, I think I've learned that leadership is more of an art and selling is more of a science. I think when you take the very best sellers, you will see the art in selling. However, you can take a new rep, say A through Z, as long as you do these things, you will get accounts because we've done that over and over again. But in leadership, because it has so much to do with just relationships and managing them, and no situation is black and white, it, it seems in leadership, there's a lot of gray. My personality naturally is very black and white, it's naturally. And so, yeah, for me, it, it was a learned thing that there's just gray area. I'm reading um, Jocko's book right now, Dichotomy of Leadership, and he talks about that. I, I think the mark of a good leader is somebody that knows how to be in any given situation and make the right decision on how to be in that moment, right? Before it was, no, this is, this is how it is, and so this is what it's going to be like. But that doesn't work. That doesn't translate. Everyone's so different. Everyone learns different. Everyone feels things differently. Um, and that's where the art comes in. Like, it's almost like you got to feel it out and, and kind of do this dance and understand what works for this person. Uh, if you're trying to get a, a rep from this to this, this is another thing that um, I, I talk about and I train on, but 
the mark of a good leader is comparing where a rep should be versus where a rep is. If a rep should be doing X volume and they're doing more under your leadership, well, you're doing a great job as a leader. If a rep should be doing this volume and he's doing less, then that's 100% on the leader, right? Often we put that on the reps and say, oh, he's... Dealing with something. He's dealing with something or he's not committed or he's got this. Excuse, excuse, like we talked about earlier. But really, a good leader figures out what it is, helps him through it, gets him to see, you know, this vision in this way and gets him not only to get there, but to rise and have an opportunity to grow. And that's, that's the type of leadership that I think it's, you can't really teach that. So right? share some specifics. I know you're not from you, but things that you've seen. I, I like the idea, and I've, I've often said, I've used that from you, that the difference between a rep's potential and his reality is leadership, right? Like what's happening. So what are, what are some examples that you've seen where people have done a great job at that and maybe displayed the art of leadership as opposed to treating this it more is, like a science? You know, a lot of this, actually, you know, we've worked together forever. I, most of the stuff that I learned or know, I probably attribute to you, to be honest. But um, it's creatively... We do it in selling all the time. The best sellers can, can solve any problem, right? This customer's in this situation. They have this. They can't do it because of this. You're going to figure that out. You're going to get the sale. It's just, it's, You're going to figure out the roof it's patch. Finite. You're going to figure out, yeah. right? It's just going to happen. Someone's going to be here for the install, right? And sometimes I think we kind of bail out, or I see a lot of leaders where it's like, yeah, I'll commit as long as the decision is relatively simple. Instead of this leader right now, needs me to drive to their house at midnight because they're going through something and I'm willing to do that, right? Or, you know, this, is, this has been a tough month for us in whatever industry. We need to think differently about how we're doing it and rally the guys behind a common cause and get them excited. You know, you look at some of the stuff that, that we did together with Survivor and this, this, you know, just these different things that we did to try to creatively get guys excited and having fun. And we felt like if they were having fun, then the area is less of an issue and they'll just go about doing their business. But it's, it's thinking about solving problems that way. That is so different and out there that a lot of times people just say, well, he's not knocking enough. You're like, well, yeah, that, that, you're not going to pick him up and put him on the doors and make him knock, yeah. right? It's, it's different. I have a question. Well, maybe you can answer this, maybe you can't. But when I look at your own path and like some, of the own, like, some of your own like artful displays of leadership, you've had reps move into your home and live there for a year and become right. part of your family. <laughs> you've also had certain times where in the middle of the night you've driven hours and stayed on a rep's couch or a leader's couch and talked them through things, but you've also had times where you've left leaders to themselves to figure it out. Mm-hmm. So if you can at all apply a principle, how do, you, how do you make those decisions? What goes through your head when you say, or, or is it just or the result of thinking about people a lot? Like, where does it come from? That's what it is. So I, I think... Um, experience is the best teacher of that. I think the better you know your reps, the more equipped you are to make the right call in those scenarios. But back to what I was saying earlier, I think that's the mark of a good leader is knowing when to do what, right? Sometimes it's like, hey, I need this guy to know. And, it's, and it comes from genuine, like it, it has to be genuine, right? If you don't have a relationship and you just try to, you know, show up and sleep show on up, the They're like, couch. what are you doing, dude? This is super weird, right? Like, but a lot, is, and a lot couch. of it be, is yeah. that relationship equity you've built up over the previous 12 right. months. And sometimes you know? it's, hey, dude, this is completely unacceptable. You and me both know that. We got to get you here. I'm here to help. Like, let's, let's go yep. get it together. And sometimes it's like, dude, I'm sorry you're going through that, right? Like, it's just very different. And you got to be different with different people. Um, but yeah, a lot of those times, it's, it's knowing the person under the situation 
one of the things that I do, I have a list of every leader that I, I communicate or have some type of stewardship over on my board that I see every single day. And every single day, without a day going by on this, I'll look at each person and be like, what does that person need? Is it just a text? Do I need to call them? Do they need an attaboy? Do they need to pick me up? What is it? Do they need to be called out a little bit? What is it? Sometimes it's nothing, but it, you'll soon see that, you know, you'll go by and it's like, dude, it's been three days. Whereas you hear some leaders like, I haven't talked to my leader for two months. You're like, what? Right? So yeah. it's, it's, you know, I, I love that. I, I love the people that I work with. And, you know, I, I like being around people that just want to get better and excel. And we're all working together to, to get where we want to be. And so I think it comes from like this genuine desire to like get somewhere together. Um, but it for sure is, it's more an art than a skill in my opinion. So before we wrap up, I want to hear, um, some, I want to hear some good Ty and Jordan stories. So, uh, it's not often we get you guys together and, uh, you get a chance to kind of, uh, maybe embarrass each other a little bit here, but I want to hear Jordan, your favorite story of Ty or like one that you remember from being a little kid where, you know, I know my older brother was four years older than me and he I mean, literally made me cry like every day of my life till I was probably like 14 until my punches like started hurting him. You know until what I mean? Until like yesterday. Yeah. So yeah, so, um, Dude, me and but Ty- a lot of that, a lot of that is what gave me my competitiveness and like my ability to be mentally tough now, right? Like yeah. in the moment, like I just hated my older brother. Looking back on it, I'm like, that's actually why I don't mind some adversity because sure. I'm used to dealing with a bully, you know, kind of growing up. So. Um, I mean, you guys are a lot closer in age than that. And um, I guess, you know, I always hear Ty refer to you as his little brother, which I actually always kind of find amusing whenever <laughs> he says that. Because my, my older brother does the same thing to me, too. He'll be like, yeah, my little brother. I'm actually taller than him and, like, bigger than him. And it's and, like, dude, uh, I'm 35 years old. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like dude, I will <laughs> literally kick your ass right now. Like, keep calling me, you know. Yeah. And I don't care. But, yeah. um Anyway, so yeah, like so, dude. I feel like mine and Ty's relationship was was really different. So we were into completely different things. The way that we always like, I'll always describe us to people is, I feel like we're the same person. We just get there in complete opposite paths, but we always meet up. Mm. You know, in the at the the end of it all, like where where we are together. Right. Um, you know, I, I I don't know if I can think of a specific time where it was like. You know, you never, we never fought, I don't feel like, ever. I mean, we shared a room for 15 years and never fought. Like, I always remember, um, you know, I, I've always looked up to Ty, like, my whole life, just because I, I feel like he's always made good decisions despite what everyone else thinks or does. You know, there were times where he ran with, you know, rough crowds doing this or that, extreme sport this or that, and so you're going to get, you know, that group. But I always respected that he made the right call or right decision um, based on who he wanted to be. And I remember growing up with an older brother, you always look to your older brother, it's like, that, that, I want to do that too. Um, so, you know, probably not like a pound story. I don't think we ever really did that, but I remember always like always holding him like up here, just being impressed with what he's, who what's, he was. what's a time where Jordan like shocked you with something where, you know, you were growing up and it just completely caught you off guard. Probably when he found out I was selling temple calendars door to door. I'm like, he must think I'm a real loser if he's not. Cause you probably tried to recruit him before, right? And well, he's like, so nah, here's I'm, the thing. he's like, no, nah, I'm good. He downplays how good he was at golf. I remember being a kid and Jordan was playing in like these USA versus Canada tournaments when he was like 10. And so my dad was working and it took my mom 
driving around with Jordan to these tournaments. She was like a golf mom. And then we had a little sister that had to go, which left me and my older brother home, like with our skating friends in the summer and stuff. So the thing that, the thing that uh, we've always been friends, uh, I've always trusted Jordan, but the thing that it happens, we probably talk twice a day and it happens, he just like, we mentally fill each other up. So that idea of we, we get to the same place, but we go different paths. Jordan golfs, uh, he, he has a strictly like balls, not boards strategy. And I'm completely the opposite. If the sport involves a ball, I'm not doing it. Like I just, I'm not good at it. I feel so weird. Sick. Jordan was teaching my son how to throw. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, dude, we we <laughs> had to get that dialed real quick. Yeah, just, <laughs> just to iron that out. But Chance was showing me how to you, throw. You're like, like over at Ty's and, like, uh-uh. and you see. Uh, this is where Uncle George steps in. And, you, and you're just like, what is happening yeah, right now? Did you but just I'll look at you, Ty in disgust? I'll tell you of one here, specific <laughs> example where I tried to be like Jordan and it didn't work. It was really recently. Um, he's all, you can tell he has all these things, right? These All these like, oh, in my family we do this. Oh, we have a who we are statement. I'm like, oh, that's the freaking coolest thing ever. What family has that? What kids know have a code of what the family believes. What, what family does that, right? And uh, Jordan had talked about when he, we travel a lot, obviously, for work. And he has this necklace that means something that's around his neck, and I always wear one too. And uh, he had said that one day when he left, his son Asher is the oldest, and so he like, gives him the necklace and is like, hey, wear this while I'm gone. You're the man of the house, whatever. And I was like, oh, dude, that's so cool, because it's something I always tell my son is you got to take care of these, especially the girls, while I'm gone. And so one day I was leaving and I was like, hey, Rocco, come here. I was like, this necklace means something to me. And I went to give it to him and I was like, you got to wear this. And he's like, I'm not wearing that stupid thing. And I was like, you got to wear the necklace, right? Because I tried to walk the same path that Jordan walked. And he's like, I'm not doing it. And I was like, I just like put it on and like walked out of the house. And I was like, I like, I like the concept. I got to find another way to get there. So anyway, well, hey, uh, this has been awesome. I think there's so many things for leaders and guys to hear. I think... Um, I love how deliberate you are with your success. Success is so predictable, right? Like if anybody were to apply these things, they would have uh, a similar effect. So congratulations on an awesome career and thanks for hanging with us. Jordan, thanks, man. Um, It's been awesome getting to know you over the past couple years, but hearing all these cool, like little things that you do in your stories, I think is really inspiring. So I think a lot of people are are gonna love it. So awesome job. Appreciate it. Another episode of Electric People in the books. Thanks guys. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric.